0: Us as we worship together. It is good to see you all this morning. You know, I, uh, I've said it before, but this is my favorite time in the week when I just get to come and uh, worship with God's people. I love it. Um, this is, this is the, the thing in the week that fires me up, and uh, I just love worshiping with God's people. I, I, I recently, this week, had to write my annual report for Cornerstone, and, um, and it made me really think about... What worship has molded into for me this year and what I've learned about it. And my favorite quote about worship this year is when we worship, um, we forget about all that is wrong with us and we think about all that is right with God. That doesn't mean that we set aside and walk away from all that is wrong with us. But in the midst of everything that is going on in our life, we get to see God's perspective on what he feels about us, and his perspective on our situation. So when we worship, we are coming to think about what is right with God. And when we think about what is right with God, it somehow seems to put everything in my life into perspective, because I see that no matter what is happening in my life, God is there. And like we just sang that first song, his love never, 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 ever fails. And I love that. That's my favorite quote. When we worship, we get to forget about what is wrong with us, and we get to think about what is right with God, and life just comes into perspective in those moments. I, I want to take my chance to, to tell you a story that I remember about our speaker this morning. He doesn't really remember me because I was younger. It was like probably, I don't know, between 10 and 15 years ago when, when this happened with John Reeves. He's our speaker here this, this morning. Kyle's going to introduce him more in a second, but I don't even know if you remember this, John, but the, John stands up at camp, I was, a, I was on staff at camp, and he stands up, and all he says is, I'm going to teach you all how to worship today, okay? So he stands up on this chair in the front of that, the A-frame chapel. You remember this? And he says, he just says in his quiet voice, he's got a microphone on, he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. That was his entire message for the day, but this is how he did it. He stands up on the chair, says that, and he says, all right, now say it with me. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as people got, got a hold of that, everybody started, it's a bunch of teenagers. It is hard to engage teenagers in, in saying something like this. But by the end of this time, he had lost his voice. There was people laughing. There was people rejoicing. It was crazy because after, I don't know, we did this for about five minutes straight. And that, is, that was awesome. By the end, we're like, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And it was so loud. I mean, this is this little A-frame chapel. I thought the windows were going to break out. And, but that was like 15 years ago, and I still remember that. And that, in that moment, explained to me this is worship. When we get to think about everything that is right with God, this is. Is worship. So I still remember that. That was awesome. And uh, so during during this next song, as the offering comes around, um, just soak in His presence. Listen to the words of this song, and uh, if you know it, sing it with us.
1: Good morning. We are uh, continuing in our Modern Family Series today. First of all, I want to see, how, how did we do on the homework assignment? Huh? Yeah? All right. I just good to know somebody was kissing their wife. Oh, I saw a thumbs down. Raleigh, disappointing here. Megan Gray came up to me afterwards. She goes, Kyle, I can't take this. I don't want to see my parents kissing each other. And then, of course, Larry and Liz were out here making out right after the service. So, good job, Larry. I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to... Uh, this morning to have John and Cheryl Reeves, you know, like Nick, I, I still remember the first time I met John. It was a little less dramatic. It was in over on the picnic tables outside of Mayes, but for some reason or another, it kind of kind of left a, a lasting impression. And so I've known John m- more through my brother. Uh, him and my brother have, have known each other, and uh, he's been a mentor in my brother's life for a long time. So got to know John through that and and Cheryl as well. And if there's one word that I could describe these guys, it'd be passionate uh, in everything they do. I played basketball with John. And John's the type of guy that if he's guarding you, he's up in your grill. I mean, he's up in your face. You're not getting the ball. If you got the ball, he's right up on there. And he's the same way with his family. Uh, you know, how many kids you guys have? They have six kids, and five boys, right? Five boys and a girl. And, and they are passionate about their family. And they've been over uh, many parts of the country also help starting and planning churches. And, again, in their, in their love and their walk with Jesus, they are passionate. So I was excited that they agreed to come and share with us this morning because they've been a great example and model of a husband and wife and his parents as well. So uh, let's let's give a hand for for John Cheryl Reeves.
2: I need to hurry up and get up here for any more stories are told on me. It might uh Nick already got a little tear out of my eye now I gotta compose myself. It's great to be with y'all. We we, uh, we're planting a church in Dubuque, Iowa. Cheryl and I just moved there from South Carolina. You'll pick up on my language here in a little bit that's a little different than yours probably. There'll be a y'all in and out of there. If y'all bring me some sweet tea up here, I'll be more comfortable. But uh, we, uh, we just moved to Dubuque, and we got 14 inches of snow last month, so we learned how to shovel, which was fun, actually. We kind of thought it was fun. They tell me that gets old after a while, but at this point it was, it was fun. And uh, we, started our, uh, we had our first meeting for our new church, on uh, last Sunday night, so so we, we know the drill. We know the drill being in schools and a variety of places. We're in a little movie theater, they call it Mindframe. It's like a throwback movie theater. It, it, it's good they keep the lights down low because it's nasty in there, but nobody knows because the lights don't work. But uh, the, the, there's, uh, they literally sell alcohol in this movie theater, which I've never seen in my whole life. It's the strangest little, but it's cheap. It's $25 a night, so we love it. $25 a night, you don't see dirt. So we're in there, we met last Sunday night, we're hustling and some of you guys that have set up here, you know the drill, things don't always go right. For those of y'all that have never set up, this is work. I've been doing this for years, so we set up and we had, one of the fun parts about having a big family is, is we don't grow cotton, so, but we do plant churches, so all my kids have to set up chairs and they bring in stuff and the boys are hustling, they're getting everything set up and about 10 minutes before the meeting starts, we realize we don't have an extension cord to make the projector work. I can't find one, the movie theater doesn't have one, so I decide, this is what the skill of the church planner is, you, you make stuff happen fast, so I, I run to the car, jump in the car, I drive home as fast as I can, probably breaking a few laws, and slide into the house, I run into the house, I grab extension cord, but I also needed a, a power strip, so I ran behind the TV, jerked out, and some of you fellas in the room know what I'm talking about, when you're just winging it, you're feeling strong, I, I felt like a man in this moment, I jerk out the power strip, rip everything out of it, I run back to the building, and I'm there in time, Plug up the projector, everything's smooth. Nobody knows all the work that I did. It was awesome. It was a great night. We had a bunch of people, and, and really, God, I mean, so, so you can pray for us. We're just right here at the beginning. We had a great group of people, pretty mixed uh, racially. It was a fun night. It was a great worship night. And then we went home. And generally, marriage on mission, it has these moments, right? You, you, we have these euphoric, we were both kind of flying high. We came home. We sent the children to bed. And Cheryl discovered something, and our mood went from well, marriage on mission to uh, something else. I don't know exactly what it was, but I felt like hiding, because what happened?
3: My side of the story is that I have five sons. My only daughter left for college, which means that the house is very masculine-driven. And there are not many TV shows that I enjoy to relax and watch, but I just found one recently, and it's on Sunday nights, and I was taping it. Anyone heard of Downton Abbey? Anyone like Downton Abbey? So I, husband, had, I've seen it. I had missed the one before, and so I was taping the premiere and the second one that night, and when he came in and jerked out the power cord, he cut all our direct TV contact, which means that as I'm euphoric from a night that was just amazing, and then I see that my show has been completely deleted or not taped,
2: I, I went from the
3: high to the, any, any women know about emotional change in a split second? <laughs>
2: It was crazy. I was like, it's just, I mean, it's on PBS. How good can it be? You know what I mean? I make a major network. It's
3: pretty clean. But I will say this. After 23 years of marriage, 23 years ago, the guy would have heard it all night, all through the night, the next morning. And I did say a few words that I probably shouldn't have said in the tone I said them, but I have learned this is what I did well. I just went to my room and got ready for bed and went to bed because I was ready to take someone's head off. So I did learn. I did do better. Don't you did. Think?
2: And I got on the phone, called Direct I called everybody, PBS doesn't answer late at night, but I'm calling everybody, trying to see if I can get this show back, because I knew, I just just knew, the boys had just watched football for, I don't know how many hours in a row, and you could feel Cheryl growing tired of my family, you know, which I'm a part of, and I like football too, and we're in there, and we're just loving life, and we just ran her out of the room at some point because there was a last second field goal and she was stressing out about whether the Falcons were going to make it or not. And, right. and then, then I blew the show. And so the, the, the beauty of this thing that we have uh, oftentimes is exposed through the hard stuff. In and, and a marriage that's on mission, there's these constant highs and lows where, where we're trying to put ourselves out there um, and we put our family out in the world to reach it and then we screw up with one another, and, and you hit these, these just dumb moments. Yeah, and, and, and what we've seen is over the course of all these years married, we're now at 23. Um, those moments are the ones that make this thing special, moving through those moments. One of the things we were reflecting on this morning is that I think that I spoke at Cornerstone 20 years ago, we we're trying to do the math, but I'll just round it off to 20 And once Nick got a tear out of my eye with that story, I started reflecting on what your church really has meant to my life without you knowing it. It's it's cool to be in the school. I was at the old building at one point. Bill Elefritz brought me to the church when I was a basketball player. I I was a supposed basketball player. I I was a hustler, really. I I did exactly what Kyle said. I fouled a lot. Um, And then... um, Chad, I really met Chad when I when I was at Mass, and Chad came and played for me, and we developed a lifelong friendship. And 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 what happened from this church, from so for some of y'all that have been here for years, you've played a major role in my life without knowing it. I I spoke here 20 years ago, but people from this body have built into me uh, in ways that you didn't know because you built into Chad. I remember actually. Kyle's dad taught me that you never play man on a baseline inbounds play. We gave up 18 points in a game on inbounds plays. I don't think I made it to the locker room to talk to the team before Rod caught me in the hall. I was scared out of my mind, He instructed me, you need to, look, you don't know what you're doing, just play a two, three. And I was like, i I've been doing, I still yell at coaches for that. When well, my ladies, kids Ladies,
3: do you hear what I deal with?
2: This is what we do. Do
3: you see why I wanted to watch Downton Abbey? <laughs> do you see this? Okay.
2: That's exactly right. <laughs> So then a tear came to my eye because over the 20 years, uh, a couple things happened that this church actually influenced me too. One of them was church planting. And then, then Karen represents in here a family that made me passionate for this because I watched them. Uh, so, so I, I kind of get both. Chad actually went out to an uncle. Maybe you have an uncle out in Colorado. And I, I was on staff at a mass, and Chad would send me all these notes from stuff they were doing as a church, and it struck me that we really could be a player in the city, and we could see lost people come to Jesus, and we could see something change. And I, I, I watched those notes, and it stirred up in me this need to plant churches. And so we're, we're working on our seventh. We're planting our seventh church. Uh, watching Keith and Betty raise kids stirred in us this desire to do family well so we we decided to have six kids as well so we just like we're a big number of people but so so we had six kids and we've been fighting for this marriage thing for all those years so so it's cool to be here but it's also cool to remember standing i'm sure i was more formal and i probably had on a suit i'm not (laughs) sure but i was probably standing behind a pulpit 20 years ago as a 25 year old struggling to get my thoughts together and thinking Uh, about that moment 20 years ago and where we were four years into marriage, 20 years later, you had no idea what you signed up for, right? (laughs) I had no idea because we kind of been through the newlywed stage, which was kind of hard and good and you kind of got through that and you felt like you had it all figured out. I'm four years in, we we had a little baby boy running around. We're good at this. So you can stand up, you speak with authority like a (laughs) 25-year-old with lots of experience. (laughs) 20 years later, you're like, I had no idea what the 45-year-old guys were standing up there talking. I didn't know all the time that they had put in with this thing and the hard, hard, hard days and the real awesome days and how that would make me the man that I am today. And some of y'all in the room that are 65, you're like, bro, you don't know nothing. You're 20 years behind. And we thought it would be fun to uh, remember a few words that some friends have taught us through the years. And um, kind of go through that 20-year process, tell some of our stories, and and, and hopefully teach through story. And I, I really wanted to uh, just read to you half of a verse. This, this, uh, when I read marriage, this first Peter passage, when it addresses husband and wives, it's very interesting because it addresses a man and a woman's love for one another, but it assumes mission. It assumes that this relationship is important, but it assumes that we're on mission. Because it literally at the beginning of chapter three, when it speaks to the ladies, it says it talks about how you you're to relate to your husband, but then there's this, this crazy line at the end in chapter two. Then even some uh, those who refuse to obey the good news. So there's the assumption that our family is constantly on mission, that we're presenting the good news to our neighbors around us and the world around us. But those who refuse the good news um, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. So, so there's this assumption that we're on mission and that people would look in at Cheryl at the baseball field when my kid strikes out and we're working through that. My kids don't strike out, by the way. But anyway, just this. Yeah, once in a while. There's um, this is the assumption that everybody's looking at her and how she handles it. And, and, and we work, and, and all of a sudden we are a marriage, but, but we're on mission. So when it gets to the men, there's actually, this verse hammered me, and Cheryl remembers the specific time, but at the end of the men's little section, it says, to treat, speaking of their wife, to treat her as you should so that your prayers will not be hindered. That verse tore me up because I'd been praying for direction. I was trying to lead our family well. I knew I wasn't treating Cheryl well. I could not get God to communicate to me. The word wasn't a lie. I couldn't figure out what to do. And I read that verse, or I heard, no, actually, I think I heard a guy on the radio read that verse, and I had not heard it like that before, and all of a sudden, I, that's why God's not listening to me, because I'm not treating my wife well. And, and so it's a really interesting passage. You could spend a lot of time on it. We thought we'd teach you through, through story, but to consider that this thing that God gave us is supposed to be on mission, and it's supposed to refine us both. So that the bad days are as important as the good days because it makes us totally different people than the two 25-year-olds that rolled in here 20 years ago because of all those moments together. We've had some highs and we've had some lows. We thought what we would do is we, we learned from some friends three words uh, each, and, and so we're going to kind of bounce back and forth. Uh, Cheryl, uh, Cheryl learned from some friends that these three words that define how a lot about a a lady and how she works in a marriage. And and I've got three words as well. You want to start? You want me to start? All right. So so my first word, as I relate to Cheryl, is pursuit. Part of my job. See, I was really good at that pre-marriage, right? Because... She out of my league, and I better would, stay after, right? He was
3: right? really smooth before we were married.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I had to be, because somebody else might come sneaking up on, you know, this is mine. So I will run around, and I, I work. Bill saw me. I was about as smooth as they come. And might as well call me smooth, right? Because I was working angles. I mean, flowers, and I bought a pink sweater one time, which was way out of my comfort zone. I literally went on walks. I ain't never been on a Why do you walk? I mean, it don't make any sense. Why would you go on a walk? I walked around buildings with her. I mean, what? just that's. That's what you do when you're pursuing. I wrote notes. I wrote poems. I became a poet. I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, I was. It happened. But then we got married. Right? She got pregnant. We had little rascals running around our house, causing chaos. It was messing up all my pursuit. Not, not really, but we just all of a sudden it's like this this thing that we did pre-marriage. Now our life got complicated, and uh, now how do I pursue? Uh, ten years ago, we're watching the Clemson Tigers. This happens a lot in my house. We're Clemson fans. We had friends over. And uh, I do not remember what happened. We had, we're planting a church. Friends are over watching Clemson. It's awesome games, by about halftime. And Cheryl...
3: It must have been bad because I'm so social. For me to leave a social setting, it, something really bad must have happened. Something bad. I ran up to my room, shut and locked the door, and went in the closet and sobbed my head off while we had people at our house. That just doesn't happen.
2: So, so, so to say awkward is an understatement. I'm sitting in there with all of our friends, <laughs> and Cheryl just disappears, and it seems like an emotional moment, so it was awkward. I, was, I just sat there for a little bit, and it was this, there was this weird moment of, am I going to pursue her? in spite of how this reflects on me, the tigers are on too, I mean my goodness. I don't know what it is about emotions and when the tigers are on, it's like it's like we're competing or something, but anyway, the tigers are on and I remember going, I gotta do something about this. And so I look, there was, I think it was just two couples there and they were younger than us. I gotta I got go talk tomorrow. so I, I get up the steps. Maybe some of y'all have been there, fellas. You get to the door and you, you're kind of preparing yourself to go in and make whatever you just screwed up on right, which I really wasn't sure what I screwed up on, but if you ever turn the handle and that thing doesn't turn, it is not a good feeling. You're like, she locked the door. This is serious. I gotta
3: say in my defense, we had little kids and I didn't want them coming in on me, sobbing my head off. So oh, I, was I thought you knew how to unlock a locked door. I did.
2: I didn't have a key to that door. But anyway, <laughs> doors locked, I can hear it. I don't know if you fellas, I, and ladies, y'all may just not be emotional. Maybe Cheryl's like the extreme on this, but I can hear some noise in there. <laughs> And it sounds like it's directed at me in tears. There's just some sobbing going on. And She's back in the closet. I find out later and uh, uh, it struck me and it didn't strike me funny. Like, I gotta get in that room. And at first, fellas, my first emotions mad. She locked me out of my own bedroom. I, I had this notion of kicking the door, <laughs> but, but Keith didn't live near me. I wouldn't have been able to fix the door. <laughs> so, I, so I backed off on the kicking the door. So I went around to the garage. I had this extension ladder in there. This is up on the second floor. <laughs> I set the extension ladder up against the house, and I thought, I bet you one of them windows is unlocked. The extension ladder up on the house, climbed up the ladder, sure enough, the window's unlocked. I climb in the window, I come into our bedroom, walk around to the, you know, you got the bathroom, and there's a little closet in there, and I hear the sobbing in there, and I come in there, Cheryl's got, how in the heck did he get in here? It was a moment of pursuit. It was, we we were both wrong, I'm sure. I don't even remember exactly what all went down. Because no, but
3: I do remember the pursuit. You I do? do. Well, I'm just I saying it made a difference. It made yeah. a difference. That's what we build on. We're broken. We're going to have these issues, but the fact that he pursued through that, I will never forget that. Me that's what that's what helped build the marriage. That was good.
2: It was a cool thing, you know, at the moment it felt really humbling to have two younger couples that are looking up to us <laughs> in my living room. Sometimes you teach in your brokenness. That's good. It was a marriage on mission. Those two couples saw, you know, a loser husband who just screwed up. Didn't really know how he screwed up, but screwed up and, and, and pursued to make it right. So they'll always have to remember the extension ladder too, which is a good thing.
3: Well, likewise, one of the ways we're made in God's image as women is to be inviting. If you read all through Scripture from early on, God invites invites us into relationship with us. And as women, we are made to be inviting. That's one reason I think John married me is because he doesn't know how to have a conversation about anything other than sports or church planting, I think. And I can talk to a wall for hours and hours and be fine. <laughs> so I, so I, he, he married me for my invitingness to be able to talk to strangers or talk to anyone. But as women, sometimes that becomes corrupted when either our emotions overwhelm us. It can be emotional, spiritual, physical. I think sometimes women, um, we neglect ourselves, I found recently, um, you know, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Christmas, I just began to fill my body with junk to where I was fueling it to where I, I had no energy. I became less and less inviting. I became more defensive and abrasive and, and edgy. And I had to, if we're going to be on mission together, and I literally thought this, I feel like God blessed me because my mind was not just about, I want to look better. I really felt like if John and I are going to be on mission together, I have got to get my act together, even physically. And so he went away to South Carolina for five days, and I'm like, "This is perfect because when I cut out all that sugar that's been in my body, I get even more, (laughs) more abrasive."
2: I was glad to be out there. So
3: he went away, and I went on a 12 day specific diet of just eating really healthy things to cleanse my body. And I got to—I told John this morning, driving here, I couldn't have done this well. We have had such a busy weekend and busy days, I would have been more upset and irritable and stressed, and we were relaxed last night, and we had a good time coming here. Some of it is not just spiritually having ourselves healthy to be inviting, it's physically and emotionally. Women, when we give into our emotions, are we inviting? I don't think so, so... So to be made the way we're made, to, to do that in a, in a way that is inviting, is to keep healthy spiritually, physically, emotionally healthy so that we can invite our husband into relationship with us.
2: Those two things. So, so they're cyclical. I mean, you have this pursuit and this invitation and this pursuit and this invitation, and, and they really go hand in hand. And, and, and so 23 years later, we've screwed up on that some. You know, one of the most frustrating things for me ladies, I come up to the bedroom, she will be looking in the mirror in the bathroom talking about how much salt she ate today. I'm like, salt? I mean, I just ate four bags of popcorn. We're talking about eating salt, but I feel so unbloated, and I'm like, that's just not, I'm, I'm going to go, all right, I'm out. There's, there's this, so we just kind of work through this thing, and what it does is it, it refines us, because i I got to try to get my head around that and get some of that, understand some of that. And at the same time, she, she wants to make it... <laughs> Less repulsive to me. So she she becomes inviting. We kind of worked through that back when well, I was
3: thinking, even when I was thinking of when I had younger kids, I was really bad at being invited. God has so, we're so broken and God so transforms over long periods of time. I have a long way to go. But just when when I had little kids, I would be so uninviting when you would come home from work because I'd had kids hanging on me all day and I just wanted a break. And the first thing I would do when you would walk in the door is, Take the kids. I've got to get a break. And just an example of, of not being inviting to your husband. If you can, and I think this is one of the things I'm learning that I did okay with on Downton Abbey, is when you sense that you're out of control, you've got to discipline your mind, prepare, say, okay, when he comes home from work, that's one of my hard times because I just want to give into my emotions and vent how bad the day was or how hard it is or how tired I am. And we have to see what's coming at us, and we've got to prepare for it, especially women with emotions. I think men can be that way too, but for me, I think Women, do you agree that sometimes we just begin to get in a cycle of every time they come home, we're we're abrasive, we're grumpy, we're not inviting, but we can discipline ourselves. We can train our minds to be ready and say, I'm going to do this differently. I will wait until I tell him how hard the day was. And we can do that. I, if I can do it, anyone can do it because <laughs> yeah. I'm one of the most emotional persons. <laughs>
2: anyway. Again, it's cyclical. So when I walk in the door, I got to like, you know. Seeing what happened on ESPN today can't be my first objective. You know, one of the things that's really hard for me because I came from a family we don't touch. All right, my dad's really thin like me, so when we hug, we bump sternum. This is just awkward, so we just don't do that <laughs> stuff. All right. So, so like one of the things that I have to discipline myself. Th- I have to literally think. I got as much as I love Cheryl, just hugging her when I come in the door is just that's not natural to me. I, I don't just want to go do that. It, so I have to go. sometimes I walk by her and have to turn around. And she forgives me for walking by her the first and turn around and come back and give her a hug because that's just not the way I think. That gives me the opportunity to be a pursuer, which makes her feel like a million bucks, according to her. I don't get it. Hugging me doesn't do much for me. But
3: But likewise, I'm not inviting for you to do that if I'm abrasive as soon as you walk in the door. And even if you walk past me, I can do it in a fun bantering kind of way like, oh, you're going to. You're just avoiding me today. I mean, you can, you can hint in a way that's more fun and inviting, or you can just go, there you go again, not hugging me today. Are you ever yeah. going to walk in the door and give me... I mean, it, we, can, we can even give them those hints in a way that is more fun and inviting, or we can just be abrasive.
2: Good. Second word for me is uh, protect. And this, this is a fun thing, I think, for guys. The protect word makes sense to us to some degree, because I, I can remember when we first started dating, when I would walk in public with her... <laughs> I just, I just liked pushing my chest out and saying, come on, get a piece of this. That's, that's my You know, you got, uh, for some reason, we got this weird thing in us, ladies. I cannot explain it, but we're just kind of ready to go. That's, that's kind of how, something, at least that's how I am. That's how I play basketball. <laughs> that's just how I am. And so there, that's kind of a fun thing, but I think we're losing that culturally. I think, think our children are losing that culturally. The boys don't know how to be men. They don't know what to die for. As a matter of fact, we want to shield them from all pain. And so what we've been trying to do with our family is push our, we have five sons, so it's a big deal to push them to understand when do, when do I protect? What we've done in, in our country because of a m- number of things, is we've stolen away a lady's identity. We've not allowed her to be a female anymore. We do that with porn. We make them objects. Or, or the feminist movement has made us a co- compete instead of just being cool with being who we are. So what we've been trying to do with our, our sons is Give them a real opportunity to protect the lady. So I've got this deal. Elijah is my thickest kid who seems to be kind of ready to rumble fairly quickly. So we got this, this deal that uh, if, if anybody bothers a girl at school, he's got my permission to do whatever needs to happen. So,
3: and to a certain extent, not just, <laughs> not just take them out. I mean, they have to be being. All right, you know, I, I don't very try not to give too much definition.
2: He's already got this thing going on. So our first conversation was classic. And I think for us as, as husbands and fathers, this is part of establishing a culture in our home. So for Elijah, I need for him to view women in a way where part of his job, whether it's his wife or not, is to protect her, protect them. In, in reality, I mean, this scripture in First Peter speaks of Cheryl as being weaker in a fight. I'm going to win like 100 out of 100 times if we ever got in a fight Physically. part of the way God set this up, because it makes me feel like a man. It's not an insult to her that she doesn't have as good a headlock as I got, right? It's it's a compliment to her that I want to stand in front, that I want to protect her, and it makes me feel great. It makes me feel like a man. So if I want my sons to understand, that's how we address women. That's how we handle her. So so Elijah's like, Dad, if if that happens, I'm gonna have to go to the office because these new school rules, and, and they're gonna throw me out of school. They're gonna... And, I, I, and, and my whole conversation is, you're going to come home, you're going to get a hug from me, I'm going to tell you I'm proud of you. Your uncle, i got a brother who's crazy about this, uh, he'll drive to our house, and literally, Matt, Matt would drive. If one of the boys got thrown out of school for that, he would drive from South Carolina to my house, take them to dinner, because... <laughs> We want the boys to be responsible for those that are weaker. And that, that's not just for ladies. I, Chunk does this some at school. He does it. He hasn't gotten in trouble well, for Well, when yet. they
3: were younger and on the bus, Elijah, Israel, and Mariah were on the bus. Where there was a kid that kept just, I guess, I don't know if it was taunting or bugging or getting in people's faces and was just not a good kid on the bus. And he'd been doing it to other kids. And one day, he did it to our daughter. And they came home and John said, did you boys take care of it? And they went, dad, she pushed him to the floor before we could do anything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) The classic And apparently
3: (laughs) he quit bothering people after that. So our daughter is strong and capable of taking care of herself, but we want our boys to understand that they are to step to it.
2: Immediately, yeah. So there's this issue in our culture about protection. As much much as it makes us feel like men, uh, for us fellas, this, this is a big deal. Cheryl, anytime I don't protect her, and, and sometimes it's, it's not just physically like that. She, she can smell it and she feels vulnerable and she's wondering why am I scared? Why, why am I scared? I still
3: try to tell him that when he leaves the gas tank on empty, it makes me not feel protected. I feel vulnerable. He still's not quite getting that 100%, but he's doing better.
2: Right, it's my car, Wait. what the heck? I mean, I, I'm always like, that's part of adventure for me. It was close to zero as we can get. That's like kind of fun, but. It really is. It's, it's, like, it's a learning curve on this thing. How, why does that feel like I'm not protecting you? you know, I, I'm, I'll jump in front of somebody who's coming after you, but leaving that car on empty, paying a bill late, and that late bill, and stuff like that makes her security just kind of evaporate. And, and it, it's take, I'm still working on it. 23 years <laughs> in, I'm still trying to figure some of that out because it doesn't bother me, and it, and it does bother her. Uh, I think for, for us, we've got to get our heads around what protection looks like. Because what I like about it for us, fellas, is it makes us feel like men. It's one, of the, it's one of these three that I think most makes me feel like a man. I walked, uh, man, we were in Atlanta planting uh, one of our churches. And uh, Cheryl, may, she, maybe she'll tell you about where she was. She was a little crazy at this point, really, but uh, just just struggling emotionally and I, uh, I really had the finger pointed at her in my head. I, I'm, pretty, I'm disciplined somewhat with my tongue, so, so it wasn't like uh, I would ever let her know that. But in my heart, I, I was pointing a finger at her. We planned our first church. Uh, we planned a second. We We're working on a third. And uh, I don't know what it was, but we, we just weren't healthy. I remember, I can I literally remember, I don't know if she'd been crying or what had happened or what I had done. We'd been married maybe eight or nine years. I walked onto the front porch of our little house. I mean, the porch was, a, you know, one of them little slabs in the front. And I when I hit the door, it's was like 10 p.m., stars were out. It was a warm night, and I just felt like God was out there. I wanted to turn around and go back in, <laughs> because I just felt like he said, it's your fault. And... uh it was rough and it was, I, I didn't want it to be my fault and uh, re- really what what came down to it he, he really pointed the finger at me for not protecting her spiritually that I had not defended where she was and, and let me show you we, we had planned a church we've been hustling people been chad came down and took a little church that we had of about 200 to about 800 folks were getting saved we were baptized people were hustling Cheryl, I would literally invite everybody from the church over to eat. Everything. Well, not when we had 800, but at the beginning. And we just kind of hustled. We were loving it. We were ministering. We were getting after it. But I wasn't watching her heart. I didn't have that in my frame of reference. I just, we were just rolling. I was on mission. It was good. We had this marriage. She seemed to be strong. And she was strong. And we just hustled. And the next thing that I know, she broke. And, and I was mad at her for not being strong enough. This this first Peter passage seems to indicate that part of my job is to protect her when she's not strong. So I've got to recognize that that's a piece of the puzzle. And the, the cool part was sitting on the front porch when I repented, all of a sudden I felt like I was stepping back to protect my wife. So sometimes protection is not nearly as fun as pounding somebody. It's really about humility and saying before God, I screwed up, I'm sorry, and then going back into her and saying that I'm sorry, and then charting a course that will protect her in the future, which is what we did.
3: Likewise, um, God made women to be nurturers, I think just more naturally. Not everyone does it real naturally, has to learn. Some women, it's a little bit tougher, but in general, we are nurturers, which God does with us. Um, When we are not walking in that the way God intended to be made in His image, then we end up... Um, almost becoming adversaries. And during that time, we administered so much and we'd given things away and had people live with us and constantly people opened door, everybody coming over. It was great. But I was taking my relationship with God and feeling like when I studied to teach the women the Bible and when I was mentoring, that was my time with God. Which would be the same as me saying, if I show friends photo albums of my husband and talk about him a lot, that's going to really build our relationship really well. And yet never sit down with him, never talk to him, never be with him, just talk about him. And that's what I was doing. And we were living by faith, living on the edge, doing things, crazy things, and God was blessing. But my heart began to get drier and drier and drier. And I, I would have still said I respected him more than any man I knew, but I began to blame him for our marriage getting a little bit tense. I began to get resentful. Every time he walked in the door, I looked at him with eyes of resentfulness, like if you would just you know, you're the problem. If you would just learn to pick your clothes up, mow the lawn more regularly instead of waiting till I'm embarrassed by how high. I mean, I was looking at every little piddly Mm -hmm. thing he did and saying, you're the problem. But it's because my heart was dry. I was not reflecting God. I couldn't nurture him because my heart, I wasn't nurturing my relationship with God. So the example of God nurturing us also is us with God. I am to nurture my relationship with God, and I was not doing that. And I broke to the point of where God held up a mirror to me. This is another thing is I think when you have walked with God for a long time, maybe you don't have to, but we begin to feel good about ourselves. Like we just have these, there's a book I read called Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges. I don't know if you've heard of it. But we begin to think we just, you know, I need to work on that area. I need to work on that area. I need to temper that. But we don't see that our hearts are utterly depraved and corrupt. While we're in this flesh jesus forgives us when we accept him he stands in front of us god looks at jesus and yet we're still in the flesh which means that we have a corruption about us and I think that I just felt pretty good about myself. I was doing a lot of great things and did not understand the depravity of my heart. When I began to nurture my relationship with God at that point, and John began to protect me spiritually, the next time we planted a church, he would not let me in the nursery. He would not let me in. He he backed me away from all those things that were starting to dry me out. Now, I was still doing some. I didn't just back up completely, but he began to protect me so that I had time to spend with God, and he looked out for that it was amazing and it was really good and now i'm back in a place where i want to be with the kids all the time i'm loving it but there was a season where he protected me and i nurtured my relationship with god and became healthier with john also during this time i couldn't nurture him we as i began to grow in the lord and i was talking about tempering sins how i'll see something and say i need to temper that if you haven't heard enough from us by now i have a lot of emotions that come out <laughs> Have y'all gathered that? He laughs by now? a
2: lot, cries a lot. Some of it's good. It be boring if Some it was of just it's me. good.
3: There's there's a lot of good stuff too. But at the same time, I vent these emotions freely, and one of the things I learned as I began to nurture my relationship with God was I, my emotions were becoming almost like an idol. Whenever I felt like venting something, I would vent it. That's putting my emotions before God. That's making it into an idol, and I began to realize that I've got to change that. But I was working on it. Then we moved to Texas, and I really was working to move. We do a lot of moving, which is, <laughs> which is difficult. And I'm, I, I moved by faith, and I did the move really well. But once we got there, I began to just allow these emotions to come out. And I was, instead of nurturing him, I was venting these emotions, like why do we always have to do these hard things and leave all our friends and family? And, and I remember one day looking at John, and literally his shoulders were I saw this weight, and it was like God showed me this picture of the weight being my words. My words were weighing him down. And it was like something that moved to Texas. Every move we've had, I feel like God's taught us big things for our marriage. But in that move, I felt like God said, you can't just temper your sins. You've got to root them out and understand how deep they go and how ugly they are. And that your words, when you think you're venting, you feel a little better, and then you're like, well, I shouldn't have done that. No, 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 no. It's not, I shouldn't have done that. It's that you're destroying your marriage. You're destroying that person. You've got to look at it for what it is. And since then, it's not that my tongue is perfect, but I would say there's been a lot of work that's been done that God's, but it's not me working at it. It's me pushing into God. It's him doing the work in me. It's me nurturing my relationship with God even more. When I see that happening, it's not about, I got to work harder. It's about, I got to know God more. I got to push into him deeper. And that's where I begin to reflect him better in the way I can nurture John.
2: There's a phrase we started using, we, we use it with all our churches now, is uh, tell the truth about yourself. So, so it's, uh, that was a season for Cheryl. And we have actually heard Tim Keller speaking about root some sin doesn't, it is not just like pulling a weed, it's, it's there's a rooting process. And, and there's this long, hard process to get all the roots out. But what we try to teach our bodies when we pray together is one of the first things, you don't pray well until you tell God the truth about yourself, which is really just looking in the mirror and telling him. It's repentance, it's, it's, it, and it's, it's uh, confession. It's, it's a combination depending on where you are in that moment. We started disciplining ourselves to say, here's the truth about me. We do that with one another. We do that with God.
3: Well, and I think it's hard. We live in a society, if you've watched any TV show, everything 's lies, even billboards are advertise everything has a bit of deception or a false it's a false portrayal. Every show on TV someone 's portraying themselves in, in a way that is not truthful, so even as believers, sometimes we can think that I believe that i 'm living by faith i 'm doing all these crazy things for God, and I believed a lie that I was spiritual and that I was right with God when I was not and so telling the truth is the way we 've got to learn it and John began to push us the whole church where we would have to pray with people and say, what is the truth about yourself today? And I'd have to pray, uh, I just yelled at my husband on the way over here really bad. And I, <laughs> but when you get to where you start speaking those truths, then you, it, it's transforming. Yeah.
2: So again, you got a cycle there. This, this, this nurturing piece that Cheryl brings to, to, the, to the program and this protection piece that I got, when, they, when they're together, it's really smooth. But even in a broken relationship, though, when you fight back to it, it, there's, there's beauty to it. The last word I have was provide, which kind of crosses over here because I had missed some provision <laughs> um, during that season of our life that I hadn't opened some doors for Cheryl to grow. So I missed some. Provision for us oftentimes is, is uh, am I paying the bills? Did all the bills get paid this month? Am I working hard? Enough? Which is a huge part. We're finding the younger generation in our country of guys uh, are, are not great providers. As a matter of fact, they don't carry the weight for their new relationships. For the most part, I just read a stat the other day that basically guys would prefer not to be married so they don't have to carry any weight because so, they, 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 they want to stay away from responsibility, particularly the 20-something of, of our generation. Um, so what about provision? Because that, that makes me feel like a man when I come through. It makes me feel like uh, I'm, I'm handling it. It hurts when I don't, and I haven't many times. Um, struggle to to cover our needs or in, in our country what we define needs as anyway yeah. we work through this whole thing but at the end of the day if I pursue protect and provide I, I really it, there's not it's not only about making her feel secure I feel comfortable in my own skin like as a man so there's this provision piece that, that just I'd love for you to wrestle with not only on a physical from the physical standpoint but from the spiritual standpoint so what is my job there is that about having devotions at the table at night? Well, we do that some. We, we do that some, and that, and that is part of my responsibility. But, but what else? What else is it? Um, during this season of time, one, one of the things I figured out is that I had not figured out how to do spiritual life together. So one of the things we started doing is I would pick a book, and when I would read it, I'd give it to Cheryl. So I'd read the book, and she'd read the book. We used to try to study Scripture together, and it didn't work because she thinks, I'm like, how did you get that? That makes no sense. That's not it. And we'd actually... It just didn't work, right? We prayed together some, but what worked best for us, if I read the book by myself, and she read the book by herself, and it, you know, later in the day, kind of just natural in conversation, we talk about it. And she would be all excited about something that I had already read, and it, it created this way for me to actually get this, I feed her. Not that she can't feed herself. She's as capable as I am. It's not that I got it all figured out. But I had this, there was a responsibility, if our marriage was going to be on mission, if I was going to put our marriage out there, then I had to have the troops ready. And Cheryl was the key to that. So the whole family, this whole thing, she had to be healthy for the kids to be healthy, for us to be healthy, to go do it again. So it it wasn't complicated, but one of of the most shocking moments was when um, in Atlanta, we, we learned a lot, Cheryl went to another Bible study at another church because it was the best thing for her. It was a moment when I needed to humble myself and go, I, I don't really have an answer now. I need to get her somewhere where I can get an answer. And, and, and God blessed that. And then the other thing that began to happen is, is I, if I wanted to provide for her, I had to build this culture that um, she'd feel really safe in, which never has been true financially because we're all over the place. <laughs> but, but what I had to start carrying on conversations about important things with Cheryl. Uh, for me, I don't know if how you guys are, but I'm a bulletproof point guy, so like, I can be done with the conversation really, really fast. And Cheryl, literally, I can feel when we get to 20 minutes on the cell phone, it's like I have an automatic alarm in my head. And I, literally, I, can, I look down at the phone, and I knew it was 20 minutes. We're at 20 minutes. And we got a deal. When we get to 20, I can close it. <laughs> so, uh, uh, so we close it. But what I, what I wanted to do was to establish something. There's some things that I really, really wanted to listen to as a provider, Right? And one of them was anytime she had a conversation with our neighbors because we wanted to be a marriage on mission, and she was talking to a neighbor who yet to meet Jesus, I wanna, if she talks 30 minutes on that, I want to go. That gives her security. This is who we are as a family. And she can kind of rest down in who we are as a family by a defined mission and uh, provide security.
3: Well, and I, the, the whole Bible study in another church, we were in between church plants, and we had nothing going on with women, and I was really dry. During this time, I told you all about where I was getting dry. And John suggested that I just go to a study at a church down the road. It wasn't even really that solid of a church. But but the lady leading the study was a godly woman doing a Beth Moore study, and it was. It got me in the Word. I was anonymous. I wasn't one of the leaders. It was really healthy for me. It got me in the Word. My phone keeps buzzing. I'm sorry. Well, well, I'm Someone's really called. trying to call me. Um if you wonder what I'm doing, I'm trying to shut it off.
2: Is that what that is? Yes, my phone's I busy. I wonder what that was. I
3: uh, thought
2: you were just excited about being up with me.
3: Yeah, <laughs> the whole provide, protect, I think, I think something that maybe he didn't articulate, but you should get is that the husband can also provide, protect, and pursue through caring for her even her emotional needs. Now, there's two sides to that. The last word I was going to use is, as women, we are to partner. We are to partner with them. God created us to be. They, it says in scripture, in Genesis, he created everything. It was good. Then it says he created man. It was not good for him to be alone. So it's the <laughs> only time to be alone. That's the only time he said it's not good because man needed us desperately.
2: No question about and
3: that. And another word I've learned is the word konegdo If you've heard that, that's the word for Eve as a woman. And it's, it's like a helper as a companion, but it's a word used of God when he comes and swoops in to save the day. When it says to help, it's not a trite word, y'all. It means we're like lifesavers for these men. But that means we are to partner with them so that we we can work together. And that Bible study is how it it built me up to be able to do that. But um, the willingness to move with him has been one of the ways I've partnered with him. Mm -hmm. And I've learned through the years, but everything that we do, just the faith to move is not enough. How do I do it? The process, the difficulty... Um, it, was, it was really good, that last song, Be Enough for Us. I think faith is the key to anything, from marriage to anything. I, I have um, someone coming to see the house Monday that we're living in. If it sells, we're booted in 60 days. So how do I do that? I either partner with John and do it by faith, or I can bristle and be just a mess, and then I heap those emotions on him. So how we deal with our emotions whether we're going to partner with him and work together with him. It's not. It's in everything. It's the process. It's the being willing to do what God asks us to do as a family on mission. We're talking about being on mission and marriage. Mm-hmm. So am I doing it by faith or am I giving into my emotions? I'm talking a lot of, about emotions because I think that's in marriage. I think that's one of the things that breaks the relationship on the woman's side. And then the man not being willing to protect us spiritually, emotionally, and provide for us and help us, I think those are the things that break us apart. When he's willing to take the time and I'm willing to discipline my emotions, it brings us together as one.
2: So we want to wrap up, uh, I think, the piece that I I keep saying marriage on mission because I, I believe that part of the reason we're healthy today is because we're on mission. Marriage is not our idol. Having the perfect family is not what we're trying to attain. We don't have a perfect family. It's impossible. that will be a rough one to get after, right? But but we really expected this family to be in, in a battle. So there's this preparation, and then there's this pointing of this family into battle. We've got older kids now, 21. A, I've got 21, 18, 17, 15, 12, and 10. And we're starting to see them shot into battle on their own. So so what really has to happen, fellas in the room, as you're designing this family, or, or, or even if you're just designing your own life, is there's this picture that you're shooting for. And I think all of these three things that, that, that I've spoken of come out for me out of this picture. I, I, I talk often when, when we're talking to young couples about, to the guys, about painting a picture on the wall so that there's a vision for your family so that Cheryl knows where we're going. So I, literally, I have this in my head, this picture up on the wall of what we look like. Mine's got six kids in it, all right, and, and how they operate, and how they carry themselves, and, and how I want the boys to carry themselves in public, and how I expect Mariah to relate to people. And I have this picture in my head. The only way to get somewhere is to have a picture. A lot of that started with my own family. I, I, I was blessed. I grew up with a good, good, good family, and I learned from my mom and my dad, and I took some of that, and I painted my picture. I hung out with the Leverance family a bunch. I got to see how Keith and Betty did it, and I, I literally downloaded a couple of their things and put it into, into my playbook. And then I, I'd see somebody else do something, and I'd take that out, and i put it in my playbook. And I'm fighting for this picture, and, and for me, it was this family that loved one another but loved their neighbors, and, and everybody knew it. So we, we, we fight for that picture. Here's the weird part about that picture, fellas, is that I get to make about 5% of the decisions in that picture. All right, so Cheryl probably makes about 80% of the decisions, and the kids make another 15%, and I feel like, for the most part, I serve the decisions to push this family toward that picture, but on occasion, there's 5% of that thing that I fight for, and, and you will see the hair on my neck stand up.
3: I would say you laid the foundation early. And he brings the foundation, the strength of what we've built. And then I do a lot of the details when he says that he makes the smaller percent. I can care less what color the walls are. But here's what I have to add with the picture, ladies. We sometimes make that into an idol. So we need to paint the picture, have vision for our family. And it should be mainly a spiritual goal. I want my kids to be movers and shakers for the kingdom. I tell them from a young age, I want to train you to be warriors because we are in a war in this world. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, and we are up against him in our marriages. We're up against him with our kids. And so, ladies, we've got to make sure that the family picture doesn't become an idol that actually is used by the enemy to take us down the wrong road. Pinterest and having everything perfect in our home and our little kids being perfect. It's about broken people humbly, desperately seeking God and teaching our children to desperately, humbly seek God.
2: Let me back that up for the fellas. So, so at a very young age, one of the things I can't have in my house is lying. Can't lie. If a kid lies, it's like fear breaks out in the whole house. All the older siblings are like, he's going. It's, it, this is the, because lying destroys my picture. So that's one of those moments where dad is in full effect, right? Rebellion, clear rebellion. You can hear the lazy boy. It doesn't matter who's playing football. That joker clicks and the whole house moves because dad's coming, because they know what they just said to their mother in another room, I heard, and I'm on the way. It's not her job to handle, it's my job to handle. I can literally remember my 10 year old yelling at Cheryl, he didn't know I was in the other room, I hit the door, his hands went in the air like he was on Bonanza. He was scared out of his mind because he knew. It was laid into the DNA of the family. This thing is serious. I can't have, we need to wrap it up, man. I I can't have rebellions, you just keep pushing through. You worry oh, about that the, re, off, No, now? the
3: picture I'm saying that he painted, we're not talking about raising kids, but but in talking about marriage, marriage comes first. Yeah, We have to be healthy before our kids can be healthy. <sighs> so that picture is that marriage has to come first. We're getting into so. kids.
2: True. <laughs> so at the end of the day, well, our hope is that this little family of ours is shot, that we're out, that we're healthy enough and strong enough to be on mission. And, and our anticipation is, Birthing out of this, our children will do the same. It's a long ride. Let me pray. Jesus, uh, fun sitting with uh, folks that uh, some that I know, some that I I don't at all. Still having real relationship with them because your spirit is inside of me, inside of Cheryl, inside of uh, a variety of folks in this building. Lord, the city of Des Moines needs you desperately. So it desperately needs solid marriages, needs healthy people, married or not, to live in it, to be responsible for their radius, for the people in their circles. So I pray, I want to pray for this church. It's it's cool they're meeting in the school. It puts them in a cool spot to be on mission. I know they got other plans here in the future, but pray that you'd use this church as a missionary to Des Moines. But, but really, with this series, God, we pray that you'd use each little home as, as a spot where they represent you in their neighborhoods, that the neighbors around them, the people at the ball field, the people on the job site, the people around these marriages uh, would be able to see you, and that they would desire you. And some, some would turn to you. God, uh, we trust you with us. In Jesus' name, amen.